The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. The other day, a video came out of Governor Whitmer's opponent claiming that Democrats have been working for decades to topple the United States because they're still upset about losing the Civil War. <laughs> and that COVID restrictions were part of some master plan to do this. Now, first of all, what? There's your uh, Antiochus out there. That was from The weekend as well. He's mocking Tudor Dixon for believing that Democrats, radical Democrats, are trying to destroy America and, and for believing that, that COVID was actually part of the scheme. They've brought out Barack Obama, the dear leader, and he's mocking all of them. This is about all that they have because Tudor Dixon is ahead in the polls. What does that tell you about some of her beliefs, about some of the things that she's campaigning on? It's pretty revealing. Americans are waking up to the fact that America is, in fact, under attack. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show through our website, thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and it takes you to the live stream page every morning, 11 a.m., uh, here in the central time zone of the United States, 11 a.m. Uh, or if you'd like to watch on demand, we've got all of the podcasts available at our website as well. You can email the show if you like, td at thetrumpet.com. So you look at some of the latest polls. There's polls actually suggesting that Oregon, Oregon, the state of Oregon, the deep, dark blue state of Oregon, could in fact elect a Republican governor. According to the Real Clear Politics polling, that's the, the group that just kind of aggregates all of the polls uh, together, it could be that Republicans pick up seats in Kansas, Michigan, Nevada, Oregon, and Wisconsin, governor's seats. And then, of course, you know all about Carrie Lake. She appears to be running away with it in Arizona. And, and so many of these communists, they're just beside themselves. How could... How could an election denier actually be voted in? Well, instead of addressing the concerns that so many voters have, they just create these false narratives, like the details, the ever-changing details surrounding the Paul Pelosi case. We'll get to more of that later on in the show as well. As for senators, there's a Senate race in Washington state, deep dark blue Washington, and it's pretty much a toss-up. They, I don't think they've had a Republican senator since I was 12, 13 years of age. It's been that long since they've had a senator who is a Republican. It looks like uh, Herschel Walker. Never mind. Obama was out mocking him as well. well you're not going to let someone like Herschel Walker just fly the plane because he's a, a football star or a former football star. 
That's uh, that's your Antiochus basically te- in this case telling the athletes to shut up and 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 shoot or throw. I thought we weren't supposed to do that. I thought we were supposed to really hold dear to everything LeBron James tweets or some Hollywood celebrity, but not in Herschel Walker's case. He may take down Raphael Warnock. Warnock is the extremist. He's the radical. Just look into some of the background on that guy. And then, of course, you've got got Tudor Dixon in, in Michigan. An outsider. Again, Michigan. I mean, Michigan. some of the swing states, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, these are swing states. There's some pretty big elections coming up in Pennsylvania as well that are, that are closer than so many of these radical leftists thought that they would be. And so they're desperate. And so they'll, as I covered on yesterday's program, they will say anything to hold on to their power They'll do anything. What we're seeing, what we're seeing, just like my father says in the Radical Left uh, article from 2018, what we're seeing is what they're willing to do to maintain their grip on power. I just want to refer you again to America Under Attack. I want to give you a, a quote from it and then tie it in with some, some news that broke just yesterday. And you see just how accurate, how timely this book is. America is under attack. And as I said a moment ago, more Americans are now seeing this. I mentioned yesterday, you know, how the BBC and those outlets in the UK, as soon as something breaks, like the the hammer attack at the Pelosi home, I mean, they, of course, like their knee-jerk reaction is to go straight to the dear leader, straight to what Pelosi's uh, office has to say about it. They go straight to the mainstream media. But there are, there are more and more conservative media outlets gaining popularity in the United States. And, of course, candidates, as I say, who are addressing concerns that, that, that ordinary Americans have regarding just, just voter integrity. So the BBC will take whatever the radical left says and run with it. But you're seeing more and more of a majority of Americans saying, no, we're under attack. This is a communist attack. This is what a communist attack looks like. So in America Under Attack, my father writes, in our modern world, digital surveillance and collection plays a huge role in intelligence gathering. It says the U.S. has some of the most sophisticated intelligence services and data collection technology in the world. The NSA surveillance database is an extraordinarily powerful tool used by America and its allies. And now the NSA gets a lot of its data from private technology companies like Facebook, Twitter, Google, and Microsoft. The intelligence apparatus has recruited these firms as crucial partners so you had this story yesterday, the leak about the DHS basically having this, this portal into social media uh, so that it could basically control the flow of information, so that it can tell these social media companies what to blot out, what to censor. I'll come to that story in just a moment. But how does it shake things up when someone like Elon Musk gains control of, in this case, Twitter? You wonder if some of these stories are going to start to show now. They're going to start to surface because maybe they're worried about what Elon Musk might expose now that he controls the inner workings of Twitter. But again, just come back to America under attack 
and appreciate just how, how prescient this message is and, and was. It first came out, the first version, back in 2013. Wow. My father says here, Barack Obama has used this partnership to weaponize America's intelligence services. He successfully took a system created to surveil and neutralize the nation's external enemies and deployed it in, instead against his political enemies within America. It was to exploit the enemies abroad. He took, and he, he took it and he turned it on his political enemies at home. He's weaponized the Department of Justice, this, this, this uh, apparatus, this intelligence-gathering apparatus. says Obama effectively created a new bureaucratic monster out of the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, the FBI, and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. A, uh, a fourth branch of government full of unelected deep state bureaucrats who are loyal to him, his ideology, and his goals. See, these are the ones they sent in to help clean up the mess caused by the initial police reports coming out of the Pelosi home from early Friday morning, October 28th. They want for you to believe that this date, why, it's just an extension of January 6th? They were going after Nancy Pelosi. They, this guy was going to hunt Pelosi down and kill her, just like they were going to do on January 6th. This is their narrative, and they're sticking with it. They're staying with it. My father says, this means that these agencies can spy on anybody they want to, even on Donald Trump, while he was... The, the sitting president, one final quote here. Again, this is all from America Under Attack. If you don't have a copy, make sure you call our operators today and request America Under Attack. It's 1-866-930-3024. That's a toll-free number you can call. If you're in the United States, Canada, or the Caribbean, the call is free. So order that copy today. One final quote. It says, this is rank lawlessness. It tramples the Constitution, the supreme law of the land. These companies now have a virtual chokehold on the government as Obama guides them. They have become weapons of Barack Obama. See, it used to be that Twitter, as massive as it is as a social media platform, it was a weapon of the Antiochus. The Antiochus administration, Barack Obama's social media tool. They picked up the phone. You know the story about Michelle Obama. Just, just a day after the January 6th protest and said, hey, you've got to ban Donald Trump. And they did it. They did it. They kicked off. And, and Donald Trump was the, the sitting president of the United States at that time. Had something like 80 million followers on Twitter. Guess who now owns Twitter? You know about that late breaking development as well. This just happened in the last couple of weeks. It says here, that is what it amounts to. Even to this day, this undemocratic fourth branch of government is out of control and it controls the other three branches, this bureaucratic state. They had control of social media. They've been using social media as weapons. But things are changing pretty dramatically, I'd say. This is the, the intercept, the breakthrough story about these leaked documents showing that the, the DHS, again, has this, this portal to social media sites for, for censorship, basically. And, and I played the clips for you yesterday. As the fake president said himself, 
look, we've got to get to what's motivating all of the, this fake violence. We've got to squelch, we've got to squash the speech even. The speech, he said as much in the blood red speech at Philadelphia. They're fascists. They've got to do anything and everything to stop this fascist movement. This is from The Intercept. It says, there is also a formalized process for government officials to directly flag content on Facebook or Instagram and request that it, that it be throttled or suppressed uh, through a special Facebook portal. Government agents, imagine this, censoring people on Facebook. These are private companies. You can see why they're up in arms at the moment over Musk taking over Twitter. Further on, it says, the extent to which the DHS initiatives affect Americans' daily social feeds is unclear. During the 2020 election, the government flagged numerous posts as suspicious, many of which were then taken down. Documents cited in the Missouri Attorney General's lawsuit disclosed. It says, in a 2021 report by the Election Integrity Partnership at Stanford University, it found that of nearly 4,800 flagged items, Technology platforms took action on 35%, either removing, labeling, or soft-blocking speech, meaning the users were only able to view content after bypassing a warning screen. It says here the research was done in consultation with uh, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Prior to the 2020 election, tech companies including Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Discord, Wikipedia, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and Verizon Media met on a monthly basis with the FBI and the CISA. That's the Krebs agency. You know, he's the expert on cybersecurity. Never had any background in it, but leave that aside. He came out after 2020. Yeah, this was the most perfect election in history. In history, he said. It says here, that, so here's social media. Me, these... These communications reveal meeting with meeting with the, the deep state bureaucrats as they tried to control information. It says here, according to NBC News, the meetings were part of an initiative still ongoing between the private sector and government to discuss how firms would handle misinformation during, during the election. Wow. And you think they were uh, meeting with these social media sites to try to help in any way Donald Trump? This is, this is another way that they stole the election. The deep state is deep blue. That's the only thing missing from this Intercept article. The fact that it, it's not just over the past five years that this has been going on. This, was, this goes all the way back to 2009 when Antiochus first came on the scene. He's out there today mocking the, the, the candidates that are saying, we're under attack. And the truth is, we are under attack. And even this story from The Intercept shows it. It shows how many of these corrupt agents in government have, have risen right to the very top and how much control they have, even over all of these social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Discord, Wikipedia, micro, all of them. It says DHS also began to broaden its watch to include a wide array of domestic actors viewed as potential sources of radicalization and upheaval. It says an FBI official interviewed 
by The Intercept described how in the summer of 2020, amid the George Floyd protests, he was reassigned from his normal job of countering foreign intelligence services to monitoring American social media accounts. See, we've got to control the information. Say the people who are out there crying out, we're trying to save democracy. We're doing this for liberty, for your freedoms. They're out there saying that even as they're working behind the scenes to take those liberties away, to, to stifle any debate, any, any communication coming from the other side. The political opposition says here another FBI official, a Joint Terrorism Task Force officer, described to The Intercept being reassigned this year from the Bureau's International Terrorism Division, where they had primarily worked on cases involving al-Qaeda and the Islamic State group, to the Domestic Terrorism Division in, uh, to investigate Americans. See, that's where the real threat is, from the Domestic Terrorism Division. This affidavit, by the way, submitted by the FBI. The F Remember, FBI and the Capitol Hill Police, they've got to swoop in and clean up the mess in San Francisco. That happened. The hammer attack happened Friday morning, and the affidavit, it's filed in court yesterday. They've, as far as they're concerned, them, those people at the FBI, they've got all the facts they need to show that this was a domestic terrorist attack. And, and within the affidavit, it's almost hilarious. It's almost like you're reading this woman's uh, biography. Let me just give you the snippet. She says here, I forget her name, Stephanie Miner. She's only been with the FBI for three years. She works in the San Francisco division. She says in the affidavit filed in court against David DePepe yesterday, she says, I am a special agent with the Federal Bureau of Investigation and have been uh, an FBI agent since 2019. I'm currently assigned in the San Francisco field office where I specialize in investigations of domestic terrorism. This is the perfect woman for this job because this was a domestic terrorist, a MAGA Republican. And, and he disagreed with Nancy Pelosi's politics, so he was trying to kill her, or at the very least kneecap her and send her back to Washington, D.C. That's, that's, in, that's in the affidavit. Here's the court filing. Here's the criminal complaint. And the facts, of course, ever-evolving as the radical left settles into a narrative that's just perfect. And let me tell you, this is perfect. What's turned up in this criminal complaint? If you're a radical leftist, it's ideal. It fits so snugly within the narrative. It's all about the narrative. She says, I primarily investigate U.S. persons who commit violent criminal acts in furtherance of their political or social ideology. I'm reading through this this morning thinking, what does this have to do with the case against David DePepe? What does it have to do with this case? She's giving her bio here saying, you know, Your Honor, I specialize in domestic terrorism. I, I really know what I'm talking about here. She says, I have participated in several investigations of individuals uh, that committed criminal acts in furtherance of ideological goals to include uh, militia, vi militia violent extremists. I've gone after these right-wing militias. I'm, I'm hot on the trail after domestic terrorism. 
Well, it's the greatest threat facing the United States, Joe Obama says over and over and over again. And then someone stands up and says, listen, we're under attack here. You, you heard what Obama said in response. All he can do is laugh and make fun of it, even as Tudor Dixon is ahead in the polls. Wow, that's a pretty stunning development. I might get back to more from that affidavit in just a second if I have time. Let me just uh, read one last bit here from The Intercept. It says, during the 2020 election, the Department of Homeland Security, in an email to an official at Twitter, forwarded information about a potential threat to critical U.S. infrastructure, citing FBI warnings, in this case, about an account that could imperil election system integrity. This was the Department of Homeland Security telling Twitter, now listen, uh, we want to keep our elections uh, secure, so you got to work with us here. you got to help us here. How do you think that's going to fly with Elon Musk? It says here, the Twitter user in question had 56 followers, along with a bio that read, DM us your, your weed store locations under a banner image of Blucifer. Well, it's just all kinds of crazy nonsense. But this is what the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, this is what they were really trying to, to get out in front of and to squash. I mean, we've got to blot this sort of thing out. It went from these kinds of Twitter accounts all the way up to the president himself, Donald Trump, banned from Twitter. Yeah, just happened a few years ago. Just happened not even, not even two years ago. All of it's covered in America under attack. There was the breaking story yesterday of these two these two uh, individuals with True the Vote, the ones that Dinesh D'Souza uh, interviewed in his documentary, 2,000 Mules, Catherine uh, Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips. Uh, it says that marshals, U.S. marshals, took them into custody yesterday for refusing to identify a confidential informant. I won't take all the time to get into those, uh, the details of that story, but what a, what a, yet another outrageous another outrageous miscarriage of justice. Uh, here are these two that won't, ref they won't reveal their source. So they're going to jail because, well, they, they appeared in Dinesh D'Souza's video. So we've got to lower the boom on them about confidential sources. This is what happens to these two, even as you have leaks galore from the, from the deep state. And, of course, the FBI swooping into San Francisco to clean up the mess on the, the Pelosi break-in, assuming it was a break-in, they too now have control of the information. And you read through this laughable affidavit from this gal that's been with them for only three years. I mean, it, 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 I, I was reading it going, is this a court filing or a, a ninth grade book report? A bio of all her history? She said about the information she obtained with this. Listen to this one. It says, this affidavit also reflects my current understanding of facts relating to this investigation. That understanding may change. Yeah, that understanding just might change, she says. She knows. She knows she's framed it exactly the way it has to be framed from the dear leader. From on high, he says, this is the narrative. This is what the media need for the next seven days. I read this and thought, it, there's no way this ever goes into court. There's no way. And she leaves herself an out in case that it does, because she knows 
She knows the defense, if he has any sense at all, is going to get access to the, the video, is going to get access to the 911 call, is going to know the facts, and she's going to be exposed as a, as, a, as a radical leftist hack. And she's working for the FBI as if there aren't enough of those in the FBI. Wow, pretty amazing development. <laughs> They're being exposed for their desperate last-minute acts, their October surprises, anything it takes to hold our, to just hold on to our power. That's what it's all about. So the FBI lowers the boom on this assailant. The, uh, the city of San Francisco or the state of California, the San Francisco DA, she lowers the boom. This is the San Francisco DA, Brooke Jenkins, yesterday announcing uh, the charges brought against David DePepe. This is clip eight. The charges that we are filing today include attempted murder, residential burglary, assault with a deadly weapon, elder abuse, false imprisonment of an elder, as well as threats to a public official and their family. Okay, and there's no denying that this assailant is a deranged lunatic. You look into his background. We quoted yesterday from his ex-wife who said he thought he's, he was Jesus. But just continue on and listen to this district attorney now talking about the seriousness of this, the, the serious and grave threat that this one crazed lunatic represents for all of San Francisco, for all of Cal for all of the nation. This is clip uh, nine. What is clear based on the evidence that we have thus far is that this house and the speaker herself were specifically targets of the defendant. As for next steps. The defendant is expected to be arraigned tomorrow afternoon. My office will be filing a motion to detain him without bail. And that is based on what is obvious and severe public safety risks that the defendant poses to San Francisco as well as the outer community. And, and as Tucker Carlson rightly pointed out last night, there, there's homeless people all the time getting away with almost murder, just mauling people. And they're let off with cashless bail the next day. Happens all the time in San Francisco. But this, this is different because it was politically motivated. This is a MAGA Republican we're talking about. He was actually going for Nancy Pelosi. Where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? You hear that coming through from the DA. You hear it or see it or read it in the FBI brief. I specialize in domestic terrorism. This was a terrorism, this was an act of terrorism. And it could have led to this. Here's another Jim Comey. <laughs> another Jim, it, you know, this could have, it, it, maybe it didn't happen, but it could have. That's all through. That's all through these charges. Listen to, uh, this is the San Francisco police chief. He's out there giving interviews as well, setting the record straight now because of all the misinformation. Clip three. Are you going to be releasing that 911 call at some point? Well, not not at this point. Uh, again, you know, we we aren't releasing any evidence at this point. Uh, trying to build the case and have allow the prosecutors to build the case. No 911 call, and then what about uh, any any footage? Switch back over to the the, the district attorney. Clip 14. Uh, you spoke about this will be revealed in the arraignment tomorrow. Uh, what, when and, and if will, will we see the uh, body cam footage from the cops? 
uh, when it is made available during a court proceeding. That will not, that's the way that this works. But will it become public? If it is played in a court proceeding, it will be public then. Just think about all of the stories that you see routinely in America, all across America, where the police body cam footage is released way ahead of the court proceedings, and the whole, the whole of the nation gets to speak out if there's some kind of injustice. At some point, now she is right in this, I would assume, once it gets to a court proceeding, that a defense attorney would be able to view all of that, assuming that footage is still around whether it's from the body cam or all of the cameras that were just surrounding the Pelosi compound. How come we haven't seen any of that footage? If they're really trying to, if they're really trying to get ahead of disinformation that's being spread all over the place, show the footage. Show us what happened. Show us, show us him with the hammer bashing in the, the back door so that he can break in and then go after Speaker Pelosi. She's not there, so he takes it out on her husband. That's the story. Listen to the police chief, clip two. There are also conspiracy theories that have come up since this attack about what happened. Can you clear it up once and for all? Did Paul Pelosi know his attacker? There is absolutely no evidence that Mr. Pelosi knew this man. The 911 dispatcher said that Pelosi called him a friend. The 911 dispatcher, which makes you wonder, what did Pelosi say on the phone when he called the 911 dispatcher? What, what else did he say? Well, well, we can't hear that. We can't, that's not going to be released at, at this time. That's not going to be released. And the body footage, the body cam, not going to be released. And the footage from the Pelosi, if the Pelosi's wanted the truth to be told, why not show all the footage? There's probably footage on the inside of the house as well. This is the, the third in line to the presidency. John 6, sorry, John 8, verse 44, speaks of the devil being the father of lies. The father of lies, so many lies. From the very beginning. <laughs> this one from Politico. Officers arrived, this is Friday, officers arrived at the house, knocked on the front door, and were led inside by an unknown person. That's Politico on Friday. And then this is Politico yesterday. Among, these, among those baseless claims that a third person answered the door when police arrived at the Pelosi home. I mean, you can't make this up. This is straight out from George Orwell. On Friday, Politico says there's three people in the house. On Monday, Politico, not some other source, Politico, the same source. That's, that's misinformation. Why would you fall for misinformation? Uh, because you reported it? How about that? Listen to the police chief. This is where Politico got it, I'm sure. This is from Friday, clip one. So when... The officers arrived and knocked on the front door of the residence this morning. The door was opened by someone inside, and the officers observed through the open door Mr. Pelosi and the suspect, Mr. DePappi, inside the entryway of the home. So someone inside opened it, and then the officers saw the two fighting. Now, this is all explained in a different way in the affidavit filed yesterday by the FBI. 
This is uh, from the affidavit. At 2.31 a.m., San Francisco Police Department, I guess the, the 911 call was made at 2.23, so eight minutes elapsed between the call and the arrival of the police. I think yesterday I said a couple minutes, so it was a little longer than that, but still not very long. San Francisco Police Department Officer Colby uh, Wilms responded to the Pelosi residence, California, in, res in California, and knocked on the front door. It says, when the door was opened. So now there's no unknown person that opened the door. The door just kind of swung open. They elaborate further on in the affidavit about how that this crazy scene, I mean, all it's missing, really. What The way they describe it, all it's missing is uh, something about the clavicles and then the Josh Hawley jog. And then you've got everything. It's so preposterous. The th a theater of absurdities. They're, they're, not even, they're not even good lies if there is such a thing. It's absurd. And it, it just raises more questions. It says here, when the door was open, Pelosi and DePappi were both holding a hammer with one hand and DePappi in his other hand holding onto Pelosi's forearms. He got close to the clavicles, I guess. Pelosi greeted the officers. The, Pelosi greeted the officers. How's it going, officer? Welcome to the house. We're struggling over the hammer right now, but come on in. Sure. It says here, the officers asked them what was going on. DePape responded that everything was good. Officers then asked Pelosi and DePape to drop the hammer. And so that didn't happen, evidently. Uh, DePape got rested it free from the struggle and then beat uh, Mr. Pelosi unconscious. It says here, the police arrived and knocked on the door and Pelosi ran, oh, this is later on. Police arrived and knocked on the door and Pelosi ran over and opened it. So Pelosi, I guess, opened it. There's no third party there. It was just Pelosi and DePappy. And Pelosi ran, here's the Josh Hawley jog, I guess. Pelosi, the 82 year old, he ran to the door it says here, Pelosi grabbed onto DePappi's hammer, which was in DePappi's hand. At this point in the interview, DePappi repeated that DePappi did not plan to surrender and that he would go through uh, Pelosi. So the struggle, the struggle ensued, and it all happened in front of the police officers. I mean, there, there's besides the footage, if we could see it, you've got at least a couple police officers. That, and leave aside their body cam. They saw, I mean, how many people are in on how this is, how this is being framed? I mean, they're so particular now about every little detail. It says Pelosi was interviewed by an SFPD officer in the ambulance. So he was unconscious in the house. They put him in the ambulance. By the time he was in the ambulance, I guess he, he was able to sit up and give an interview. Who knows how long the drive is from the Pelosi's to the hospital. In any event, he's giving the interview, and then this FBI agent, she or her helpers, are accumulating all of this information. It says Pelosi stated he had never seen DePappi before. Pelosi was asleep when DePappi came into Pelosi's bedroom and stated, and stated he wanted to talk to Nancy. So where's Nancy? That came evidently through Paul Pelosi. Pelosi said in the interview he never knew David Pe uh, Pepe. And on the FBI, or rather on the, uh, the uh, 911 call, he said he was a friend. So, so already there's all these contradictions from, from these people, the same people. 
It says here, this is the affidavit. SFPD officer Colby Wilms was able to interview a witness, witness one who saw an individual in all black. This is DePappy, he, the, the nudist. Now he's wearing black clothes, top to bottom. No, he's not showing up just in his underwear, or he's not inside the house in his underwear. He's got all black on, now we know, from this affidavit. The FBI, you see, the FBI tells us he was wearing all black. They had an interview with the witness, after all. Witness one was working private security at an address nearby. Witness one then heard what sounded like banging on either a door or a car. So someone nearby had private security going on that night. Evidently, the Pelosi family had nothing. Evidently, the Pelosi family had shut off the alarm, and then Paul Pelosi went off to bed by himself. 2.30 in the morning. No alarms. No security detail, I guess. This is, how it, this is how it plays out. Let me see if I can just give a few more details from the affidavit itself. They quote from one statute, by the way. Well, I can skip over that. We're running, <laughs> running out of time. It says here, DePape remembered thinking. Well, let me just give you some of this. It's hilarious. It says here, uh, Nancy's the leader of the pack. This is why he came into the house, evidently. Where's Nancy? And uh, he's, he, he wants to break her kneecaps because uh, she's the leader of the Democratic Party. See, political motivation. That's what they're getting at here with all of the detail at the back end of this affidavit. It says DePappy stated he wanted, he wanted to, uh, to tie Pelosi up so that DePappy could go to sleep as he was tired from having to carry his backpack. His backpack had the hammer and some, uh, some ties. He was going to try to tie. It was so, but it was so exhausting getting over to the Pelosi house that he wanted to take a nap. So he, he, he asked Pelosi if he could tie him up so that he could go and just wait for, wait for the wife, wait for Nancy to show up. It says here, DePappy remembered thinking that there was no way the police were going to forget about the phone call. This is after the 911 call. DePappy explained that he did not leave after Pelosi's call to 911 because much like America's founding fathers with the or founding fathers with the British he was fighting against tyranny without the option of surrender so as far as the absurdity of absurdities here the biggest absurdity first of all Fox affiliate in San Francisco, they have to retract their report about Pelosi and the suspect were found in their underwear. So that's out. That's not in the affidavit. Then NBC News. So Fox, NBC News, the FBI, NBC News retracts report that there were three people in the house. Politico, same thing. Politico says, how could you believe that misinformation that we printed on Friday? And then the biggest absurdity of all, that these people headed up by Barack Obama, the dear leader, these people have taken a demented, gay, communist hippie who lived in a school bus and have turned him into a flag-waving MAGA Republican who was out to kill Nancy Pelosi. And we're supposed to believe this with a straight face. They want for you to believe this. If you don't believe this, well, chances are, you're an insurrectionist as well. Listen to the talking heads from the past 24 hours, clip 16. How much blame do you place on the Republican Party leadership right now for amplifying dangerous rhetoric? I mean, I watched this one guy, was it Jesse Waters or something on Fox News? 
what he's been saying about Paul Pelosi the last five, six months, mocking him consistently. Don't tell me that's not aiding and betting all this. Of course it is. And the fact that there are so many leading Republicans who still say the election was stolen, you keep repeating lies, and somebody out there who is imbalanced may act on them. And I have to say that the zip ties, to me, echo January 6th, as did this idea of yeah. him invoking being like, un as the revolutionaries were under British tyranny. Revolutionary talk. We heard that from Ted Cruz. We heard that from Marjorie Taylor Greene leading up to January 6th. Nonsense that looks just like the Facebook pages of Ted Cruz, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert. And the problem is when they conduct themselves by espousing violent rhetoric, people like this guy take it as the gospel and they carry out the violence. Uh, people have lost their minds when you have, again, I'll go back, I'll say it again and again, Ted Cruz is doing a disservice to this country with the way he is communicating about this attack on the speaker's husband. It's on people like Ted Cruz. I mean, Carrie Lake, that's Trump level, okay? There's no two ways about it. What happened to Paul Pelosi was politically motivated. It matches January 6th, and Ted Cruz is making it worse, not better. Uh, once you cut yourself off from mainstream information, which they don't trust, uh, you believe everything you hear from your friends. Where's Nancy? And that, that's God. what this is. It's the echoes of January 6th. That exact phrase, that exact question was uttered by the rioters in the Capitol and by this man when he broke into the home in, in San Francisco. But I'm focused squarely, Nika, not just on the violent act, but on the response, as you've been talking about this morning, from those who are responsible for radicalizing people to violence. It's not only the lack of condemnation, condemnation at the highest levels that we're not seeing, but it's worse than that. It's the, it's the denial that this even happened. Right. It's Charlie Kirk from Turning Point. As you said, this is about election denialism. What has happened over the last two years has seeped into uh, the minds and the thoughts of some unstable people, which there always have been. But the difference of this now, uh, candidates for public office, for secretary of state, who govern elections and people who want to be our leaders are now saying this. It has suddenly become a mainstream thought to uh, deny the election. It all springs from election denialism, they say. So he's now a MAGA Republican, this lunatic, this, this homosexual nudist, this homeless man. He, he's a Republican. He was going to kill Nancy Pelosi. Think about how dishonest these briefs are, whether from the FBI or from the DA in San Francisco. And then also, just think about I me. Mean, she, as I say, she's probably not even thinking about when this could possibly be in court. All that matters is the next seven days. All that matters is the narrative that they can hopefully hold on to for the next seven days. Because keep in mind, if the red wave is the red wave, they lose the January 6th committee. They lose control over the January 6th narrative. They've lost control over Twitter. And so these are vile acts of desperation springing from the father of lies. John 8 and verse 44. Deceive the whole world. It's nice to see at least some few waking up to the fact that America, yes, America is under attack. But these communist agents, all through the government, all across the media landscape, 
listen to some of these exchanges between reporters and then the, in this case, the district attorney in San Francisco, Clip 11. So can you definitively say now this was obviously politically motivated? Yes, it appears as though this was based on his statements um, and comments that were made in that house during his encounter with Mr. Pelosi that this was politically motivated. And the evidence to suggest would go as far to say it was an assassination attempt? Uh, what I will say is that he was looking for the speaker at the time that he entered the home. Of course, the federal affidavit contains a bit more information about other things that he's, motivations that he's expressed, um, but he certainly did uh, enact what we believe is an attempt to murder her husband at the time uh, that the police arrived. So the, the key words there, the key part of the exchange, was it politically motivated? Of course. Of course it was. Politics. David DePappi's politics motivated this murder attempt. Whether it was Nancy Pelosi or her husband, the feds, they think he, he was actually going after Nancy. Wanted to kneecap her to send a message to the Democrat Party. You see it. It has to be a MAGA Republican. Well, what about his background? What about his relatives? What about the people that knew him? What about those interviews with the ex-wife? What about the fact that he was crazy? Doesn't matter. MAGA. Just remember MAGA. That's all you need to remember from this story. It's politically motivated. This is driven by MAGA Republicans. We've got to hold that narrative for seven more days. What are they going to do on November? Assuming the red wave happens, what are they going to do on November 9th? Midterm election, that's November 8th. This is, of course, assuming it's not a, a an election month. Are they going to just, even after November 8th, are they just going to, going to sit back and let the MAGA fascists take the majority, take charge? It's pretty scary stuff. When you think about all the things that are aligning here and what could happen, we don't know all of the specifics or all of the details, but if in your deranged mind you think that we've got to bring the whole nation down in, in order to save democracy, you do it. It's exactly what Herbert Armstrong said in 1956. The goal in the end is to bring down the government. Barack Obama can mock that all that he wants. But this is the insurrection he is leading. This is what they want. They want to destroy the government. They want to destroy the government as you know it. How perfect that in the affidavit, yeah, he, he likens himself to the founding fathers. David DePepe, the deranged lunatic. I'm kind of, I'm a patriot. They call me Paul Revere. I'm just trying to save the nation. I'm trying to take out Nancy Pelosi to save the nation, to save our foundations. And so the communists left. Their response is that, hey, he's just like all of these so-called patriots, these flag-waving patriots. They're dangerous. Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know all the names. We got to get them out. It's not enough to beat them at the ballot box. The goal, the objective here, is to destroy them. It does make you wonder what will be, what will be the next line of attack in their playbook if they lose in spectacular fashion one week from today. Listen to this exchange. This is a, this is a CNN reporter 
in his discussion with the district attorney. So you, you know what you're probably going to get with that, clip 12. Do you see this as an incident of domestic terrorism? Uh, right now, all I can comment on is what's before me, which is what I believe is an attempt to murder uh, Mr. Pelosi, as well as the other charges that we listed, which we do believe were politically motivated. Um, like I said, this is very much still an ongoing investigation. It has only been a few days since this happened, and so I believe more will come out, uh, both to the public as well as uh, to us, as this investigation continues. Don't you love CNN and all the rest of them like a pack of wolves? But can't you take it a step further? It's domestic terrorism, right? Don't you see this as domestic terrorism? Well, right in front at the affidavit, you've got this woman. She's been with the agency for three years. Judge, I want to tell you a little bit about my background. I am a, I'm a domestic terrorist expert. I know all about domestic terrorism. Oh, yes, D David DePappy. He is some kind of right-wing terrorist. Straight out of a, of a militia group. This is CNN. CNN and the media talking heads doing anything that they can to, to take it even further. It's not enough. It's not enough that this DA says it's an attempted murder. It's got to be worse than that. One last exchange between a reporter and the DA, clip 13. I guess what's most disturbing about this, obviously, is that it's not just targeting her, right? It's family members. Can you talk a little bit? Can you offer any kind of assurance to people? I mean, there's a lot of people in this city who we have senators and governors who come in and vice presidents and family members. Can you talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, of course. It's something that I will tell you unnerved me as a political figure in this city. I think we've gotten to a point where um, we know that there have been tragedies um, in this very city of political leaders in the past. Um, and so it's something that we have to take very seriously. And it's very sad to see that we are once again at a point in history where people believe that it's okay to express their political sentiments through violence. That's the only violence that they see or are aware of. Look at the governor of, of New York, the unelected governor, Kathy Hochul, should have brought the clip with me. She was out on the campaign trail or in an interview earlier this week saying that for Republicans to say there's crime waves in blue cities, it, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't measure up with the facts. That's a hoax. The crime wave in American cities, that's a hoax, they say. But this, I mean, look, he has to be held, held without bail. No cashless bail for this homeless man, this homeless nudist, the communist nudist. No cashless bail for him because they're taking him, they're using him. Now, he deserves, no doubt, to go to, to prison for a long time. He should have been deported. But he's, a, he's an illegal alien. He's overstayed his visa. He's from Canada. Send him to Canada. Let Trudeau take care of him. How, I mean, how rich is it for Gavin Newsom, the governor of, of California, to sit down and to blame this deranged act of violence on Jesse Waters at Fox News? Why don't you send him back to Canada to begin with? He never would have been there to carry out that violent act. But no, no. 
They flock to San Francisco because that's a sanctuary city. There's illegals coming into that city all the time. The homeless, when they attack people, okay, give them a slap on the wrist, but let them out. Cashless bail. Just let the homeless back out on the streets. But not this one. No, no. This is, this is a violent man. This is the only violence that these deranged people, demented, truly demented people, it's the only violence that they're aware of. Listen to the police chief. He's lecturing. Now, now he's in the role of lecturing us about, you know, toning down the dangerous rhetoric, clip uh, four. You know, one thing that I just want to say is elected officials have a hard enough job as it is. And, you know, the fact that people's families are being put at risk, you know, it's, it's, it's wrong. And I am, it's wrong and it needs to stop. And I know with everything that happens on social media and all the things that go on uh, in terms of these conspiracy theories that we've been talking about, we have to put a stop to this. But I just hope people, what does it take? Does it take somebody being murdered? Well, that teenage boy was murdered just a few weeks ago by the Democrat. And you heard barely a peep on that story among the talking heads. She's another reporter, by the way. I don't know her name. But she's egging on the chief, just like the reporters at that district attorney press conference. All of them. Can you finally set the record straight on the conspiracy theories and, and then the dangers facing this country because of domestic terrorists? They talk like they want civil war, and many of them do. Many of them do. This is what so many of them will resort to. When they lose their hold on power, that's what they'll turn to. Violence. It may not be next Wednesday. It may not be in the next month. We don't know the exact timing. But we know what the sure word of Bible prophecy says. And if your eyes are open to see, if, you're, if you have ears that can hear, you can see what's building. There may be a red wave. There, be, there may be a mini resurgence. We know Jeroboam's coming back. But look at this sickness. It goes, as Isaiah says in chapter 1, it is truly from head to toe. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is The Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to email the show, you can write us, td at thetrumpet.com. We thank you for joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>